only being overall by the standards in all three disciplines. It's been really good to see. I think just making women's cricket less niche as it should be. Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. And as we get closer to September, the cricket season is still coming thick and fast here in Scotland. And we'll be hearing all news from the Eastern and Western Premier Divisions a little later on. Gary Heatley will be with us for that, as always. And we'll have an extended look back on the final of the Scottish Cup 2, of course. And speaking of which, we now know all the finalists for the women's equivalent, Rosie. Yes, indeed, Jake. The finals are due to take place on the 5th of September at Dumfries Cricket Club, with the first semi-final having Grange v West of Scotland and the second semi-final seeing Carlton take on George Watson's College. So you can have your whole Sunday planned of three games. Most definitely. And staying with the women's game, national head coach Mark Coles has announced his squad for the European qualifier for the T20 World Cup, which begins in La Manga on Thursday. Scotland will meet Ireland, the Netherlands, Germany, France and Turkey to decide who will go forward to the global qualifier next year. And we're delighted to be joined by someone who will be one of the cornerstones of that challenge, all-rounder Katie McGill. Katie, we've heard you so many times on the podcast in after-game interviews. It's great to have you on for that extended chat at last. <laughs> Thanks. Don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> I think I'm normally delirious enough at the end of the games that I get something out and get out before I make too much of a mess of myself. Although I did say pad rash on the last interview and realised as I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I had to beat that in. <laughs> There's one there's one place we need to start before we talk about Scotland, Katie. And we all know you're one of the biggest cricket badgers out there. So what have you made of the hundred? Oh, I think I think the best thing about it is the fact actually it's people that don't know cricket and haven't been badgers that have been like, Oh, I've been watching that cricket on the telly and to hear that is obviously the main thing that the ECB wanted out of it. Um but yeah, it's been great and I mean, I've mostly been following it for the three Scots in there that we've all spoken about quite a lot. Um, and I think it's achieved a lot in terms of just for the women's game, putting that on a platform and um, executing skills. Even even the male commentators coming in as guests and genuinely being overawed by the standards in all three disciplines. It's been really good to see. And I think just making women's cricket less niche as it should be. At the time of this recording, we don't know the two finalists yet, but it's been great that we definitely have at least one Scott flying the fag first in the final, which I will be at. I need to make sure I have a big Scotland flag like Sam and the team took down to Headingley the other day, which I saw on Sky Sports, and I didn't realise they were actually in the crowd at the time, and I just heard one of their voices, and I looked up, and it's, it's Sam and all the rest of them on TV, which was brilliant to see. But it's been great for the Scottish women's cricket to have Catherine Seder and Abtahar getting the experience down south. How important is that for the development of the team and hopefully open the door for others getting in in the action, Katie? Yeah, it's been huge, especially how well they've performed. I mean, Catherine and Sarah, I think people kind of knew what they're getting with them because they've been at Loughborough for a couple of years now. But Abtahar's come down from Glasgow and has taken the tournament by storm. And I think having the three of them... And then you add Kirsty, who's obviously set herself up down south, but suddenly seeing those four people that have come 
in a similar age range from Scotland. I think it's that critical mass now of as brilliant as those individuals are, for Scotland to be producing that number of those brilliant individuals, we must be doing something right up here. So I think that's really exciting in terms of opening open the doors of potential and opportunity that we have here and maybe people looking at Scottish cricket a bit more to bring their teams to play or for us to go and play them. Um, most of all, I'm just over the moon. It looks like the girls have all had a fantastic time at it, um, settled right in. And yeah, it's just great to see them doing real jobs for their teams and, and being a huge part of it and not just by no means token members of those squads. It's been awesome to watch. So by the time this goes out, everyone will be back together and on the plane to Lamanga for the qualifier. A real mix of the known and unknown in the teams we'll be facing. Ireland playing a qualifier like this for the first time in a while, but a team we know pretty well, like the Netherlands too. And then Germany, who we played in what was their tournament debut at the last Europe qualifier in 2019. And then France and Turkey. What's your overview of the task ahead, Katie? Yeah, like you say, uh, those top two in rankings alongside us um, of the Netherlands and the Irish you kind of you know all those teams and you know what they're going to bring um, Germany when we played them you could tell they were new on the scene but they had some real potential there so it'll be interesting to see how much they develop and I think we're not going to underestimate them or any of the others um, especially in T20 if you have one player that can take an innings away from you it could be really dangerous so I think it's for us about going out and respecting each team for the strengths they have and playing our cricket and fighting for our place that we want in that global. And with things as they are just now, we're obviously going into this with very little international cricket under our belts, the exception being the four-match series we played in Ireland earlier in the summer. It's Ireland that go into the tournament as favourites in the eyes of many, but what for you were the lessons for Scotland that came out of that tour back in May? I think the first thing we look at is the fact that though 3-1 wasn't where we wanted to end up, it's the best ever result we've had against them. Um, you know, um, we've won against them again in Holland, that 2018 or 2019, my dates aren't so great, um, but in the quad series. So that's, that's two out of the last six games we've played compared to not winning for about 12 years before that. So I think that shows our progression. And you add to that the fact that we were disappointed with a 3-1. And I think five years ago, we'd have been absolutely over the moon to walk away with that. Um, so I think that shows where we are in terms of wanting to challenge them for that. And the lessons we had were really clear. And I think we did a lot right with the ball and in the field. And we're really pushing our fans there. And we realised there were, at that point, gaps in our batting. And I know you probably want to talk about this in a bit, but I think the Super Series has done a lot to address that. And I think we'll go in a lot more confident on how to play on good wickets and set those big scores and really squeeze on, on that Irish order. Yeah, I guess, just as you're saying there, Katie and, and as Jake said there obviously hasn't been that much international cricket so how important has you know the domestic cricket been for the Women's Premier League and, and the Super Series been in giving you as much time in the middle as possible? Yeah the Premier League was a great way to start the season and uh, where we're expected to dominate to go and play that positive cricket and I think the exciting thing actually was it was those of us that would be more established in the squad that weren't necessarily doing that job and I think that probably gave us a bit of a reality check and put a bit of drive and training. Um, and then to come into that sort of revamped regional that is now the Super Series and to have those two teams and it be very much the best, be the best um, and balanced teams, which you can see with the results. Um, it was good to have that continuous challenge. And I think thanks to all the venues that put us up, it's the best set of pitches I've played regional cricket on um, and the best vibe and buzz around it that gets you that 
sort of big occasion feeling, which is what you miss when you don't play international. So to start to create that domestically is really exciting and even more exciting for some of these young people start to shine through, like Paula Montgomery, to experience that kind of that kind of environment before it's the big stage is going to, if it doesn't pay off this year, it's going to pay off in the next year for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you just hinted about this just a, a minute ago and we chatted about this a little bit after the game last week. But, but looking at the Super Series, the way that the batters were looking to go about things and then in turn the way the bowlers were having to respond to that was something that we, we haven't seen too often in the women's game in Scotland. I mean, that has to be a good thing for the national side moving forward. Yeah, and it's been a long time coming. Um, even you know, in the last part of Noxie's tenure, we were working on more innovative shots, creating more power in our batting, um, and looking. You know, if you look at the women's game globally, no 100 doesn't win you a game anymore. You have to be looking at those 120, 140 scores to be par. Um, so I think it was just a lot of work was being done behind the scenes, and there was going to be a point where it all fell into place, and it's kind of come at a very good time with us now. And I think over the Super Series in particular, it's fallen into place, not just with one or two players that we've seen in, with the likes of the Brightest before who have been able to get to those scores. But now we've probably got 11 people in our lineup that can go and do a job. If you look at someone like Hannah Rainey, who gets into the team as a bowler, she's hit a good couple of sixes in this series. Um, Abby's found a massively new lease of life with the bat. And then you've got people like Elsa and Megan who are difficult to bowl at. Um, I can say that now the Super Series is done. Um, <laughs> It's really exciting, isn't it? We've just got so many options and so many different styles of play. I think that's the other thing. We've worked on a lot of stuff together and we've kind of now, like, the sediment's settled a bit and I think individuals have taken away the skills that are best for them and worked out how to apply them and sort of consistently getting good scores. I don't know what the average inning score was through that Super Series, but we were chatting to Mark and we reckon it must have been upwards of 120, which is a really exciting place to be as a group and that's with the squad split into two. Well, we are so excited to watch in the qualifiers. I I am so excited, and and I can't wait for that week of cricket. Um, and 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 to take a sideways step away from cricket at the moment, you've had quite a lot of other things on your plate this summer as well, Katie. <laughs> Just one or two. <laughs> Do you want to talk us through them? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have. I mean, last night I just submitted my PhD thesis. So I've been finishing that up um, in the midst of lockdown and then with cricket coming back up as well. And then, because that wasn't quite enough, the job as the regional development officer for the East at Cricket Scotland came up and um, seemed like a bit too good an offer to refuse. So I took that one as well. Well, uh, congratulations on getting your PhD away. Um, I'm not sure, I mean, there's some dodgy people you're obviously working with uh, in the in the women and girls development section at Cricket Scotland, but best of luck with that. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I'll need it. No. <laughs> I mean, you watch it's, um, it. Oh, you watch it. We'll, we lift each other up, Rosie. <laughs> I mean, I think it's incredible what you've managed to achieve. I mean, you must be working 25-hour days. I mean, it's just remarkable what you've done. But anyway, back to Lamanga for one final question. Where do you think this competition will be won and lost for all the teams, do you think? Um, I think if you, you take out the tournament structure, because that's the same for everyone, um, there might be a little heat factor because we're going from getting colder now into 30-degree heat. But I think the main thing is that every team there has some standout players and some world-class players. And I think the make and break will actually be how the rest of the team matches up to that and, and which team can rise to their superstars. Um, and that will get them the consistent performance to go through. And obviously, I'm hoping it's us and I'm hoping I'm 
one of those ones that's matching our superstars. Well, all the very best from, from us, of course. We'll be following you every step of the way, reporting it on the podcast. I'm sure you'll you'll go away and do us all proud as always. Katie McGill, and since we recorded that chat, the Oval Invincibles featuring Sarah Bryce stormed to victory in the final of the Women's 100 last Saturday. Sarah ended the tournament as she started it with a catch and a stumping. So good to see a Scot on the winner's podium, hopefully the first of many more in the future for both the women and the men. Sarah, Abtahar, Catherine and Brad all proved themselves with such distinction throughout the competition that surely the talent pool we have here in Scotland will be dipped into even deeper going forward. And sticking with a water analogy, sadly the weather was less than kind to us on Saturday with the entire league programme being wiped out in the east and west. But, and it's a big but, the Scottish Cup final did go ahead on Sunday and Gary, it turned into quite a red letter day for Harriet's. Yes, that's right, Jake. It was uh, obviously Harriet's taking on their Edinburgh rivals, Watsonians in the Scottish Cup final at Newcastle and Air. And uh, yeah, obviously the overnight rain had, had played its part, and uh, the ground staff were down there early, doing a great job to get the, the match playable. And um, it did get started an hour and 50 minutes after the scheduled midday start at 150, uh, 40 overs aside, with Harriet's uh, batting first. Harriet's got off to a, a reasonably solid start before Keith Morton. Who was playing in his fifth Scottish Cup final was caught behind by wicketkeeper Parker Neem off the bowling of Tom Pratt. And then Hayes Vandenberg joined Matthew Cross at the wicket, and the two of them upped the scoring rate, taking it to 49 for one in the 11th over. At the end of the 16th, Harriet's moved on to 79 for one, with Cross and Vandenberg well set on 39 and 31, respectively. Young spinner Gregor Carr then got the key wicket of Cross for 44, having him caught behind for Neem in the 19th over. Harriet's captain, Mark Watt, then joined Van der Berg at the wicket, and Harriet's were 88 for two at the 20-over mark. Their 100 came up in the 23rd over, and then in the 27th over, pulled by Gregor Carr, Van der Berg bought his 50 and 50 balls, which had included seven fours. Off the first ball of the 30th over, Van der Berg hit Mike Carson for a massive six and went into a nearby garden, and that signalled intent that Harriet's were really going to up the ante from then on. Heading into the last 10 overs, and a four by Watt brought up his 50 of 47 balls, and Harriet's were now 180 for two and really motoring on. Their 200 came up in the 31st over before Watt was caught on the boundary by Josh Stinson of Pratt for 59. With five overs of the innings remaining, they were on 209 for three, with Van der Berg having been joined at the crease by Michael Sheen. Van der Berg's classy innings of 88 of 79 balls came to an end when he was caught by Andrew Chalmers of the bowling of Zach Place in the 37th over to leave them 212 for four. But what's one ends? Poor fielding, which had come into play from the 30th over onwards, continued, and Harriet's up the ante in the last few overs. Ryan Brown hitting a four, and Lloyd Brown finishing a 21 not out, as they posted a daunting-looking 261 per five from 40 overs. Zach Place and Mike Carson opened the batting for Watsonians in reply. Elliot Ruthven and Joe Kinghorn Gray opened the bowling for Harriet's. Kinghorn Gray took a wicket early on, having Carson caught a slip for just one, which gave Harriet's the perfect start. Place and key batter Ollie Hares then came together at the crease to consolidate things, and after five overs, Watsonians were 22 for one. However, in the very next over, Place was out LBW to Kinghorn Gray for 18, and the Myerside men were in a spot of bother. Well, left-hander Greg Brown then joined Hares at the crease, and by the eighth over, they were 34 for two. In the ninth over, Hares hit a four and then a six, which went over the fence out of the ground off Gavin Main as they looked it up the scoring rate. 
Here's another six of Maine in the 11th over. But the Scotland bowler got his revenge when he bowled hairs for 26 of 28 balls to leave what's remains of 57 for three. Brown and Chalmers then put on 11 for the fourth wicket before the latter was bowled by Maine and Harriet's were in control. In the 18th over, Brown, who had been joined at the crease at this stage by Neem, hit a six off Adrian Neal. And with 20 overs to go, what's run is another 171 runs from 120 balls to win. In the 24th over, a mix-up in the middle saw Brown run out after wicketkeeper Cross took the bails off following a good throw in from Rutherford and any hope of what's running winning the game had gone by that stage. Three overs later, Neem was caught by Michael Sheen off the bowling of Watt for 15 and it was 118 for six and things rapidly went downhill from there for the Marseille men. In the end, they were 122 all out as Harriet's won by 139 runs after a great afternoon hosted by air. And after the match, I caught up with Harriet's captain, Mark Watt. Overall reaction to that? Um, overall reaction, just so pleased uh, for the club. Uh, I think we deserve this massively in the way we performed the whole season. Um, I'm lucky to Watsons as well because they've been, they've been you know, fierce competitors. It's a shame we didn't get a game on yesterday against them. We would have been on a cracker. Um, you know, we're a bit worried there when Ollie came out and started putting them into the houses like, he, like we know he can do. Um, but luckily Gav just um, got one over and, and um, bowled really nicely and, and uh, bowled really sharp actually. But I thought the the way um, Keith and March went out and just set as a platform saw off the, the dangerous opening pair from uh, Watson mm-hmm. and the way Hayes just battered like he always does and battered really, really well in the first pressurised game. Yeah, so I mean, I think the second half of your innings probably scored 170 odd, so I mean, that was obviously, he had a good platform yeah. to, to build from. I mean. That's the thing, me and Hayes just went out there and as, as we grafted, we got ourselves in and um, found the work that she wasn't too bad once we were in. So, um, yeah, I'm just so pleased that we got a, got a big enough platform and um, put Watson in the pressure from the word go. And as well, your bowling, your fielding was pretty sharp as well. There was a couple of runs. Yeah, I think Watson's kind of uh, missed opportunities in the field, um, whereas we, we took the ones that mattered. And um, yeah, I don't think we had any drops and pretty much took all the catches. And sometimes in cup finals, it's a, it's a small margin that all together. And for yourself to be a skipper of the team to win it, was just so proud. A lot of pressure on my shoulders. <laughs> to be honest, a lot of um, expectations and. Um, People expected us to win it, so I'm very glad that we got over the line and got that win. for yourself, three, three cup wins with Harris? Three cup wins with Harris and hopefully many more. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers, man. Have a good night. Mark Watt there with Gary. Thanks very much. And so a great day for the team from Golden Acre. Our congratulations to them. And looking ahead to next week, Gary, in the East, a potentially significant one for them again. Yes, that's right, Jake. As you mentioned, the weekend just gone. Everything was rained out, so this weekend coming, Heretz are hosting um, fifth place Arbroath, and if my mouth is correct and the people I've spoken to is correct, then Heretz can, can win, win the league this Saturday if, if they win that match. Uh, Arbroath have been in a great run of form of, of late going into the match, so it won't be, a, won't be an easy one, but if, if Heretz can get the same 11 out as they had playing in the cup final on Sunday, then uh, they'll be confident that they can win on their, their home turf and, uh, and yeah, take, take the trophy, which would be a, you know, a, massive, a massive double win for them. Yeah, huge double on the cards. And so what else is catching your eye in the week ahead? Yeah, I mean, obviously, in, in the East, if, if Heritage don't win that game, they've still got Carlton and, uh, and Grange breathing breathing down their necks. Carlton are playing against fourth place uh, Forfarshire at home and uh, Grange are hosting ninth place Meagle at home as well. So those two clubs will be looking to, to get wins to, to make sure that the Eastern Premier Division goes to the last weekend on September the 4th. Well... Um, at the bottom of the table, um, Stuart's Melville are, are 10th and really, really need to get a win against RH Christophe, who have been in a poor run of form of late. So, so that Edmund Derby 
could be quite a tense one, um, as I say, with only only two weeks of the East League now to go. Yeah, just only two weeks left, and a little longer than that in the in the West. But um, the rain last weekend really complicated things at the top and and bottom of the of the Western Premier. Both Prestwick and Greenock really needed to play on Saturday, and the cancellations have realistically left them looking for favours from elsewhere now. Um, so looking ahead at the at the bottom, Greenock play second last Dumfries, and Pollock take on Stirling County. While second place Fergusley have the first game of their tricky run-in against Uddingston. There are four games left in the Western Premier Division season, but the destiny of the title could all still come down to the final week when Clydesdale travel to Mickelriggs. But all that is for another day. Thanks again for your company, Gary. No problem, Jake. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back along with Rosie next Tuesday. Thanks again to Katie, to Mark and to you, of course, for listening. Until next time, from the three of us, goodbye. Goodbye.